Here is one of our many recordings from the Revolutionary Ideas Online Festival held on the 28th and 29th of November 2020. This was a weekend of Marxist discussion and debate held by Socialist Alternative. Want to join our fight? Go to socialistalternative.net today and get in touch to play your role in the struggle for a world free of capitalist oppression. So socialist feminists see the transformation of society from capitalism to socialism as the path to achieving equality. And women's oppression is very useful to the capitalist system. The system benefits hugely from it. And the reason for that is the vast amount of unpaid labor that women do. And just in this country, it's worth hundreds of billions to the economy. Cooking, cleaning, taking care of children, caring for sick or elderly relatives. You know, of course, men do it too, and more than they used to in previous generations. It's just that women do a lot more. According to the World Economic Forum, women perform 76% of unpaid care and services in the family. And that's a part of women's oppression, being in a relationship where you're financially dependent on the male head of the family, the breadwinner. And I'll talk about the gender pay gap uh, in a moment, but women are more likely to end up in low paid and precarious work. So it often makes sense that it's the woman who takes a step back from paid work to focus on childcare. And part of the problem is the lack of affordable services that would help working class women to combine work and family. So for women who work, it's a double burden coming home from paid work to then provide a significant amount of unpaid labour. And the reason that women do more than men is largely because of the traditional gender roles that have been accepted in class society. The Office of National Statistics did a study looking at the unpaid work of young women aged 18 to 30. And they did a calculation based on the amount of time where women carried out household chores and one-to-one counselling over a one-year period. And it revealed that their unpaid work is worth a staggering £140 billion to the UK economy. So that's actually £8 billion more than the £132 billion a year generated by the financial sector. And by that same calculation, the unpaid work of all women aged 18 to 100 accounts for at least £700 billion. And then the pandemic adds to the burden. Things have been made much harder by lockdowns, social distancing, self-isolating. During the first lockdown, many women found themselves working from home. For mothers, schools being closed meant fitting that around childcare and homeschooling. And Yara is going to talk some more about how the pandemic has impacted women um, and they are disproportionately impacted. And the pandemic is layered on top of the inequality that already exists and it exacerbates it further. There's the economic impact. As paid workers, women are likely to be in jobs that are less valued, less well paid. Women make up a large amount of the workforce and service industries which have been hit hard. Women are more likely to be essential workers on the front line in the fight against COVID-19, working as nurses, healthcare assistants, teachers, cleaners, retail workers. And these mainly female workforces continue to be the lowest paid, the most precarious and the most exploited. Worldwide, women make up 70% of the global health workforce. And coronavirus has revealed what the most important jobs are in society, 
you know, the key workers who've continued to work and expose themselves to risk throughout the lockdowns. And then there's also the impact on health services that women need, reproductive health services, maternal care and cancer screening. And the gains that women have made over the past decades are very limited and they've already been rolled back by years of austerity and the pandemic is rolling them back even further. And it's not just economic, like capitalism benefits in other ways by dividing the working class into marginalised groups when we need to be united to fight back against the system. Um, an example of division, a very false division that I don't really have time to go into a lot of detail on um, is to do with the fight for trans rights. There's some feminists saying that the rights of trans people and women are conflicting, which is nonsense. You know, of course, we should all support the rights for trans women. One section of the working class making gains is a victory for the working class as a whole. It's not stealing rights away from anywhere, anyone else. Um, and then on the gender pay gap, uh, there was an article last week that said that women in their mid-30s may never know equal pay in their working lives. 43% of working women and 50% of black and minority ethnic working women, compared with 35% of white working men, are worried about their job and promotion prospects because of coronavirus. While well, one third of working women have lost work or hours because of pandemic related childcare issues. School and childcare closures during the pandemic have hit black and minority ethnic working mothers hard. 44% said they'd lost work or hours due to lack of childcare compared with 34% of working white mothers. More women than men are on furlough across almost every age group, and 36% of young women work in sectors that have been closed down. And equal pay is one of the many issues that we've seen women take to the streets over. In Glasgow in 2018, 8,500 women workers, cleaners, went on strike on this issue. And it was one of the biggest strikes ever in the UK on equal pay. And low paid women made up 90% of the strikers. And there were solidarity walkouts from male workers too, from 600 bin men who joined the women, picketed their depots. The entire refuse collection service was brought to a halt. Um, last year in Spanish state, there was a general strike on International Women's Day and 6 million people participated. And it wasn't just women, male workers took strike action in solidarity. And this meant there was a huge impact with much more of the economy shut down. And that's very important. Working class unity is the most effective way to fight back against the capitalist system. And these struggles now are happening after a few decades of a lull in the women's movement. In the 90s, the idea of post-feminism became popular. It started as a backlash against second wave feminism. And there was this incorrect prediction that equality for women was just around the corner. Women had gained legal reforms. Girls were achieving more than boys at school. Some women were managing to assume positions of power and authority. So the view was that it wasn't the system that was holding women back, it was their own attitudes. That women should shake off the thought of being victims of oppression, empower themselves and grasp opportunities. So the emphasis was on self-improvement, not collective struggle, about getting on as an individual. So very much mirroring the ideas of neoliberal governments. If you're struggling, if you're not successful, then you are to blame. It's your own attitude. It's nothing to do with the capitalist system. 
Instead of fighting to change society, you should change yourself. And it is true that women have made gains in their struggle for equal rights and social attitudes towards the role of women in society have improved. And it's no longer the norm for women to stay at home as housewives. And I'm sure that everyone here agrees that women are just as good as men or better. But even with the most positive attitude in the world, working class women are restricted by the economic and material inequalities which are built into capitalism. I mentioned the lack of affordable childcare for working class women, but also things like lack of access to education and hikes in tuition fees. And the gap between the rich and poor keeps getting wider. So women have been taking to the streets again and fighting back against oppression. And Yara is going to talk about some of the other incredible movements of women that we've seen around the world on issues like abortion rights, sexual violence, victim blaming. And these movements have had an international character with solidarity actions around the world. Thursday was the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. International socialist alternative activists took part in protests around the world, building solidarity and socialist feminist ideas on how we can end violence against women. And similar to the climate strike movement, we're seeing an anti-capitalist character to women's struggles, women connecting their oppression with the system, seeing that the system is to blame for inequality and oppression, so fighting back against the system too. And we're seeing working class methods of struggle and Yara is going to talk about feminist strikes. But some feminists advocate a different type of strike action. And the system of capitalism undervalues the work that women disproportionately do, as I mentioned earlier, care work, both paid and unpaid. As a means to strike back against this, some feminists emphasise the idea of women's power, the power of those whose paid and unpaid work sustains the world, and the idea of withdrawing housework, sex and smiles. And being expected to smile is really annoying, but I don't think the system would grind to a halt if we all stopped doing it. The idea of a sex strike is problematic because it implies that it's a service that women provide to their partner. And striking from housework just isn't possible for most working class women, picking up the children from school, feeding the baby, and it doesn't have the same potential power as striking from waged work. Because without the labour power of workers, capitalists can't make profits. The system can't function and that's why united strike action is so powerful and socialists see that to take on the system to end all oppression requires the greatest unity of the working class so we want men taking action alongside women and fighting for their rights and that's the most effective strategy so i'll leave it there thanks very much caroline um so we'll go straight over to the second introduction now from yara Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Caroline, for this. So, yeah, I think this is a really good um, uh, introduction from Caroline on kind of the origins of women's oppression, but also what's been happening recently. But I thought we, we both thought that it's really important to discuss one of the I think main trigger points for the movements in the last decade or so, which was gender violence and sexual violence specifically within it. Um, and I think it's it's really interesting to see again for the last decade that women no longer accept being victimized and then victim blamed on top of it um not that we ever accepted it but now there's a an actual kind of 
need to fight and the outrage by kind of the levels of femicide and rape in society are clear when you just look at the details. So I'm going to give you some details. According to the World Health Organization, one in every three women worldwide have experienced either physical and or sexual intimate partner violence or non-partner sexual violence in their lifetime. The UN data shows that 17.8% of women worldwide suffered physical or sexual violence in 2019 alone. One in five women uh, were subjected to violence by a partner, former partner, or someone in the family only last year. Globally, women aged 15 to 44 are more likely to die or have serious ill health issue as a result of domestic abuse than because of cancer, car accidents, war, and malaria combined, according to the World Bank. Women's aid estimate that on average, 400 women a week are turned away from refuges due to lack of space, uh, that's in the UK, and one in eight known homeless people are, uh, are women fleeing domestic abuse. And again, in, in, in Britain, in austerity Britain, the number of people killed as a result of domestic abuse has increased massively since 2016. And in 2000, 2018, 173 people were killed uh, and three quarters of them were women. 52% of women have been victims of sexual harassment at work. The statistic for young women aged 60 to 24 is 63%, with almost 20% of the perpetrators being managers or in a position of authority. And 20% of women have experienced some type of sexual assault since the age of 16, with 85,000 women aged 16 to 59 uh, experience rape, attempted rape or sexual assault by penetration in England and Wales alone every single year. And also 90% of rape victims know the rapist before the assault. So uh, we know that it's a cultural issue rather than uh, you know, an issue of a rapist in an alleyway, just crazy people going and attacking women. Obviously the pandemic specifically has had an impact on the situation. Domestic violence increases during uh, crises, economic or otherwise, when people feel more helpless. Uh, in the context of the pandemic, where many people are stuck in a house, lockdown meant that victims of abuse are forced into an even closer contact with their abusers. And this exacerbates the abuse, but it also takes away the ability of many women to hide or to seek support. When the state of social care was already in shambles before the pandemic, and with a devastating housing crisis that prevents women from seeking shelter, violence against women is on the rise during this pandemic. And women feel the effect of the pandemic in a violent way, both at work and at home. The number of calls to domestic violence helplines have skyrocketed globally during the lockdown. In the UK, we've seen a 65% increase, and there's not even the worst. Um, we've seen 161% increase in Italy, 30% in Argentina, 40% in Brazil, and 500% in Tunisia. When it comes to femicide, in the UK, on average, two women a week are killed by a current or former partner. But during the first seven weeks of lockdown, just seven weeks, 26 women and girls were killed by a member of the family. Since the pandemic started, the police get called about domestic abuse every 17 minutes. And in the first six months of the pandemic, domestic murders doubled in the UK. And they also tripled in China. There's been a 25% increase in Ireland, 30% increase in France. Meanwhile, the UK government's National Oversight Group on Domestic Abuse has not meant once during, uh, since the start of the pandemic. And that kind of shows that the massive increase in domestic abuse is not taken seriously by the government and by the ruling class. Instead, 
They asked postal workers and delivery drivers to check for signs of domestic abuse. And at the same time that they did that, they deemed the workers who were supposed to be doing it uh, as their job, as non-essential. But women are fighting against it, um, not just uh, from the pandemic, but before that as well. I think in the past decade, the movements uh, of women emerged and we saw women say enough when it comes to gender and sexual violence. The wave probably started with the Slutwalk movement, which spread like fire from 2011. The Slutwalk movement started in response to some really horrific statements from a police officer at a talk at the University of Toronto in Canada, who said that if women don't want to be raped, they shouldn't dress like sluts. This caused an uproar in Canada, but the wave of protests and marches swept the world with marches in many countries from the US to Brazil, from Australia to India. Uh, and I think those marches worldwide managed to get thousands of women on the street with a message that rejected the notion that women are to blame for being sexually assaulted and surfaced how widespread the problem of sexual assault and rape is around the world. It's also had the effect of allowing women to kind of start opening up about their experience as individuals and come together as a movement to fight against those issues. And I think that the main important thing about it was kind of stressing how it's not an individual issue, but a societal disease that's perpetuated by a system that does not care for women's lives or well-being. Now, the Slavok movement and the rise in feminist struggle generally that followed prepared the ground for one of the most inspirational society, uh, social movements uh, of the past decade. The Me Too movement started in October 2017, when over 100 testimonies of harassment, sexual assault and rape committed by famous Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein came out. Initially, the purpose of the campaign was to show the scale of day-to-day -day harassment, but raising awareness and encouraging an open discussion on the issues weren't the only things that this campaign has achieved, and it managed to win some tangible victories, like the arrest and also conviction of Weinstein himself, but also big names in the industry uh, having to quit or step down, like Kevin Spacey or Louis C.K., even if for a while. And more, as more and more influential women share their stories, women from all walks of life felt more comfortable to share their stories too, which forced men, mainstream media to start dealing with these issues as well, and it became something that was openly talked about. Now, those testimonies revealed not only the scale of the problem, but the fact that many powerful men have been abusing their positions as serial perpetrators. And the campaign was powerful in shifting the consciousness it's no longer just acceptable or hushed uh, to abuse women, although we still obviously have a very long way to go. We still see people oppose these movements and we still see the courts, the police, the media are still not safe for women and not even the government corridors. The movement didn't start during the Trump era for no reason. And American, the American president represents a, black, a backlash against women and those movements have started in opposition to that. As well as the Me Too movement, we've seen the International Women's Strike Movement gain global momentum since 2017. In October 2016, women in Poland organized a strike to oppose a parliamentary decision to ban abortion. Women started feeling their collective force and looked for new ways to intensify the struggle. And they came back to this old idea that is now new again of striking. And in the same month, the Ni Una Menos, or Not One Woman Less, movement broke across Latin America, starting in Argentina and spreading to Mexico, El Salvador, Chile, Brazil, and other countries as well. Those protests started in response to the murder of a 16-year-old girl, but soon encompassed may, way more issues such as gender roles, sexual harassment, the gender pay gap, sexual objectification, abortion rights, sex workers' rights, and also trans rights. 
the women who organized the protests in Argentina and the ones who organized the strikes in Poland started working together to launch the international women's strike movement in 2017, coordinating with women in over 28 countries over the internet. And over the years, we've seen more than 50 countries participate in the strikes. The strikes in each country highlighted the specific circumstances in the respective countries, while still drawing the internationalist conclusions and feeding off the strength of an international movement as well. And one of the main powerful elements of those strikes is that they're not women striking against men. The women, men, and non-binary people striking together against different types of discrimination, oppression, and gender violence that hurt not only women, but our whole society. And most of those strikes fought and imposed sanctions on governments, on bosses, on corporations, and on the capitalists specifically, not men as a gender. And that's, I think, why in the majority of cases we saw men join the strikes, which obviously made it much more powerful. And I think the strikes generally are a much more powerful and effective method of struggle, other than the calls for strikes in, uh, in like, for the types of strikes that Caroline touched on in recent years, like the sex strike or childcare strike, that I think uh, Caroline highlighted why both of them are not viable or, or effective in any way. Um, Unfortunately, striking without the support of a trade union is almost impossible for some women, for a lot of women. And due to the threat of being laid off or even just not being able to put food on the table in a world where most workers live hand to mouth. In some countries like Poland and Italy, we saw a few trade unions supporting the strikes, but generally we need more initiative and more support from trade unions for women's issues and their struggles. And this is true specifically for unions with a woman, a woman majority, like the nurses union, the social workers unions, etc. But not only them, we should have a movement that's wider across genders to fight for the, against this. And the method of the women's strike also lives on till today. We saw women striking this year too on International Women's Day. And more recently in August, there was a feminist strike that took place in Israel against a brutal gang rape of a 16-year-old girl. And thousands of people participated in the strike. And there were demonstrations uh, for days uh, that went deep into the night um, in Tel Aviv and Haifa and other cities in Israel. And I think an important part of those strikes generally and specifically in Israel is that young people and women were the most active in these initiatives. And for many, it was also the first time ever participating in any kind of struggle. And it just shows how it can mobilize more people into the general struggle. Now, the successful mass movement in Poland won Polish women some comfort for four years that we talked about uh, a little bit. But this year, with the pandemic, the Polish government decided to try the luck again to ban abortion through the courts, which in practice would prevent 98% of legal abortion, uh, which is violating the already very restricted rights uh, of abortion in Poland. The government was relying on the idea that COVID restrictions will prevent a mass movement, but the opposite happened. And on the 24th of October this year, after a series of consecutive protests, women organized, uh, women in Poland organized a strike against the abortion restriction. Now, this movement has seen the largest protest in Poland for decades, and it was led by young women, mobilizing and inspiring the working class of all genders. And the ongoing struggle in Poland shows that legal reform doesn't protect our rights in a capitalist society. If the capitalists are forced to give us concessions, they reluctantly will. But the movement, that, but, but the moment that they can, they'll take them back. And we can see that with the threat to Roe versus Wade in the US right now, and also with how some countries deemed abortion as non-essential medical procedure during the pandemic, effectively making women choose between the safety and the mental health. 
And uh, talking about abortion, we had in Ireland the repeal movement that wanted constitutional change, which meant that from abortion being illegal in almost all circumstances and effectively unobtainable in all of them, uh, Irish women now have free abortion up to 12 weeks. And the fact that a referendum happened in the first place, not to mention the victory in the referendum, was won and mobilized by a working class grassroots movement that forced the establishment to a into a corner. And more recently in Ireland, young women are organizing in opposition to image-based sexual abuse. Uh, that's uh, like what's called revenge porn, disgustingly. And they're putting pressure on the government to act on this issue after hundreds of sexual picture pictures of women were leaked a couple of weeks ago. And in Ireland, that is not a criminal offense. And that is what women uh, there are fighting against. Then if we go back to Latin America for a second, the movement in Chile is also worth, worth noting in particular because the movement against femicide produced the A Rapist in Your Path song, which highlighted the systemic and institutional ways in which women's oppression uh, is perpetrated. And it, it's been taken up globally. We've seen it in every single protest uh, around the world. And I think it's, it's interesting to look, to look at the lyrics from a socialist perspective because the lyrics describe how institutions like the police, the judiciary, and political power structures uphold the systemic violations of women's rights. So part of the lyrics say the rapist is you, it's the cops, it's the judges, the state, the president. And this, the song became viral last November. And since then it was used in dozens of other countries to make the connection between the seemingly individual sexual violence that women experience and its systemic state-based roots. Now, there are only a few, th these are only a few of the mass movements, demonstrations, protests, strikes that we've seen women, uh, for women's rights in the past decade. If we consider the lull in the feminist struggle from the decade prior, we can definitely see women are ready to fight back and are angry enough to do that now. And not only are women fighting back now, they're also drawing the conclusions that connect the, 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 the oppression to the wider struggle, essentially radicalizing and mobilizing them towards systemic change. And women around the world are realizing that the fight for an end to violence against women must be anti-capitalist in nature. Um, if the violence is supported by the system and by the state, we must abolish them to win full liberation for women. So even under the capitalist system, when we look to win some concessions for women, we can't rely on capitalist governments or even NGOs or liberal campaign groups to win the sort of services and support that are necessary to save women's life, lives in this crisis and outside of it, we need a mass movement of working class and poor people of all genders, and we have to organize for it. So we need all women and people of all genders to organize uh, on an international level and take up international struggles and actions around the world and uh, kind of fight the policies and take the immediate actions that ensure the safety and defense of our lives. Working class women are impacted in the harshest way by capitalism. This makes some of this makes women some of the most dedicated, radical, and determined opponents of a system that needs sexism, racism, and other forms of division to continue the exploitation for profit. And an international feminist socialist movement that challenges patriarchal and capitalist st standards linked to a united struggle of working class and young people against the whole system of capitalist inequality could transform the lives of women, men, children, and, and the queer community, and that is what we need to fight for.